Hello, hello, and welcome to the Better Birth Podcast. Better Birth Podcast is brought to you by Anja Health. We are helping pregnant parents keep stem cells from their umbilical cord and placenta so they can use them later on in life in case any family member needs a stem cell treatment. My name is Catherine, and I am the founder of Angel Health. I founded it in memory of my younger brother, Andrew, who passed away but needed cord blood stem cells to treat his own cerebral palsy. So being able to save stem cells right at birth is something that is really important to me, and Angel Health is actually named after my brother, Andrew. So it is really special, and everything that we do is in memory of him, but also with the broader mission of making birth better for parents, including the experience of cord blood banking. So without further ado, do here is today's episode thank you so much for listening well welcome to the better birth podcast by anja health i'm Catherine, the founder of anja health and we're so excited to have you here today on our show um and so yeah would you like to introduce yourself and give a brief bit of background um on your career and also your current pregnancy yes <laughs> um thank you for having me i'm so excited to be here my name is anna chichov and i have been a birth doula in new york city for nearly 10 years. I started this journey when my daughter was born. Basically, her birth was the catalyst into the work Mm -hmm. for me. I had a really cool birth with her. Mm -hmm. And I was supported by midwives at a birthing center in Brooklyn. It's the only birthing center in New York City at this moment. It's called Brooklyn Birthing Center. Mm -hmm. It's still running. It's still standing manned by midwives, you know, and um, there's about three rooms, two rooms with tubs. You go, you give birth. There's no epidural. Wow. <laughs> there's, there's no drugs. So yeah. <laughs> if you need to transfer, you have to transfer to a hospital. But I was able to get through my whole experience without all of that. Um, the The bathtub was my epidural. <laughs> <laughs> and I had her. And then we went home six hours later. Wow. And I was just so blown away by this baby that I all of a sudden came out of my body and birthed and had to feed every few hours mm-hmm. from my body, which is also a whole other experience, right? There's pregnancy. There's the birth, which is just a moment in time. And then you have this child forever. Yeah. (laughs) You know, so that was really cool. And yeah, now, uh, I'm pregnant again. So (laughs) congrats. Thank you. (laughs) Almost 10 years later, my daughter will be 10 in August. So, and I'm due in November, but yeah, I was just really fascinated with the whole process. And I did the doula training when she was two months old, I took her with me. Mm-hmm. Doula trainings are very quick. There, you know, back then it was about two days that yeah. I Interesting. showed up to this room with a bunch of other people that were interested in doing this, and we learned a little bit about the labor process and comfort techniques. But then my real training started when I started going to births and mm-hmm. supporting families through this transition in hospitals, in birthing centers, at home, all these different settings mm-hmm. and it was fascinating and I learn more and more every birth that I go to and um, it's just really fun for me it's fun yeah. it's fun to do this for other families and it's fun to keep learning mm-hmm. and exploring yeah know, birth awesome. because everyone's journey is so unique mm-hmm. nobody has the same story right like everybody will continue to like share their story Especially when you're pregnant, everyone wants to tell you their story. <laughs> and it's like, okay, but it's going to be different for everyone. So 
I love my job in that I get to keep people in the moment Mm -hmm. of what they're experiencing and helping them through their unique path. Um, So, yeah, when my daughter was six months old, I went to my very first birth. And since then, I've been to over 300 all over New York. Wow. New York. That's awesome. Yeah. It's cool. been really fun. Brief interruption for our podcast listeners, and then we'll get right back to it. If you're currently pregnant, then this is important for you to know. So when I was three and my brother was one, he was in a near drowning accident that gave him cerebral palsy. One treatment for cerebral palsy is giving children stem cells from their own umbilical cord. The umbilical cord and placenta are both super rich with stem cells that can be used to replace and repair damaged cells. And when they come from the baby, they're a perfect match for that baby. However, my family didn't save stem cells for my brother and we couldn't find a match when the time came. It's pretty difficult to find a cord blood stem cell match if you're a person of color or mixed race. So the best solution to this problem is to save stem cells right at birth. You can do this with AngiHealth. We have a kit that you can bring with you to birth and it contains all of the tools that your provider needs to collect your umbilical cord and placenta. After birth, you can place a pickup in our parent portal and we'll come and pick it up from anywhere in the United States and bring it to our lab in New Jersey where it will be frozen in the same way that you can freeze eggs or sperm. Then your family will always have access to stem cells for future disease treatment. Stem cells have been used to treat type 1 diabetes, different types of cancers, heart disease, liver disease, multiple sclerosis, and more. Get your kit today with Anja Health by going to AnjaHealth.com. That's A-N-J-A-H-E-A-L-T-H.com. You can always text or call us with questions as well at 310-620-1663. And yes, it is always a real person. And now back to the episode. What were you doing before you were became a doula? I was teaching yoga. Oh, wow. So that was a thing. Do you still um, teach yoga? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I find that with teaching yoga, it's just not worth the time and energy. Mm-hmm. But I still have to practice. Mm. And I have a practice deep in my body. Yeah. will never go away. Okay, amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. So how is your pregnancy going thus far, especially compared to your last one? Yeah, that's a good question. So this pregnancy has been awesome. I'm 19 weeks now, and I'm kind of in this sweet spot where Mm -hmm. I don't really feel any symptoms, which is super cool. Like, I'm just bloated. I feel like (laughs) I have this belly for some reason. The baby, I feel like I've maybe felt him move a little bit, but Mm. I don't feel him often or quite enough for me to be like, yeah, I feel this baby. But yeah, the pregnancy's been nice. Uh, my first trimester was a little, what? I was nauseous. Mm-hmm. I was tired. My boobs hurt. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the common kind of symptoms. Yeah. But honestly, once I switched my prenatal vitamin to, can I say the brand? Yeah. It, it's called Parallel Health. Okay, interesting. Is the brand. And Were you they, taking one before? I was taking a different one. Okay. Yeah. And then I switched to this new one. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a newer company, but they do trimester-specific formulas. Cool. So the first trimester is specific in that it has folate, extra folate, and a B6 and ginger pill. Mm. Once I started taking that, my nausea went away. Yeah. It was crazy. Ginger, I feel like does it. Yeah. And the B6. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then now I'm on my second trimester pack and it has extra calcium and magnesium. Cool. And then I'm curious what the third has. Um, <laughs> it has something special, I'm sure. Yeah. But once I start switch my prenatal... I felt really great. And, you know, I was also attending births. I went to a birth at six weeks. That was hard. Um, It was a home birth, thank God. (laughs) (laughs) And then I went to one at nine weeks. That was 
also kind of hard because it went through the night. Mm-hmm. I was exhausted by the time the yeah. baby was born. Um, and now I, I, going to a birth is like a piece of cake for me right now. Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah. And I'm going to keep working until I'm about 32 weeks. Cool. So we'll see how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Amazing. Um, well, yeah, it's super coincidental that you're pregnant as well, because we were chatting about how you're super passionate about, um, just optimizing birth as a whole. And so I kind of wanted to transition through before birth, during birth and after birth and your perspectives as a doula and mom and someone who's pregnant right now as well. Um, so thinking about the before birth, we can start there. What are your top three tips to have a smooth pregnancy before birth? Yeah, I would say body work is number one. So whatever your flavor, massage, acupuncture, chiropractor, Mm. all these things make a huge impact on how your body holds your baby and how you experience the pregnancy. So if you have the means, if you're in a geographical location that has these, because not everybody, you know, if you live in the middle of the country, it's harder to access like a good prenatal chiropractor. Yeah. But, you know, it's about the structure of your body and how Mm. you can hold that baby. And all of these modalities typically work not only on the structural support, but your nervous system, your muscular system, and all of these play a role in your mental health as well. Mm -hmm. So really taking care of yourself in that sense if you can do it, even if it's like once a month, you know, Mm -hmm. like I see my chiropractors about once a month. I see my acupuncturist every maybe six to eight weeks at this point. Mm. Um, So, and then massage, like whenever you just feel like you have a lot of tension in your body and Mm -hmm. and you want to release that, I think is really beautiful. So that would be number one, body work. Number two, I'll say again, the prenatal. Getting a really good prenatal vitamin to take care of your yourself in that way and support your body, support your baby's growth, I think is really important. It also, like I said, changed how I feel, you know, That's awesome. just getting that quality, those quality ingredients. Mm-hmm. Mm, number three, I would say while you're pregnant, keep moving, keep moving, even if it's just walking. Yeah. Like you don't have to run. You don't have to do CrossFit. <laughs> Unless you like that stuff, then go for it. Yeah. But, you know, walk, keep your blood flowing, keep your, you know, your. I think it's really important to find this balance of effort and ease mm-hmm. in your pregnancy. Yes, get some rest, but also make sure that your body is still getting support from movement. So, Again, walking is like the easiest thing you can do. Just go for a walk, right? right? Um, Or yoga if you want to do that or strength training if you're Mm -hmm. into that or cardio like while you still can. Yeah. I think is really important as well. Yeah, it's interesting because I every time I see a video on TikTok of a, someone who's pregnant running, it always goes viral because people are just so stunned that they're doing like, it. Oh my god! Yeah, but yeah. it's so weird because I feel like it should just be more normalized that mm-hmm. like you can definitely run while pregnant. Hundred percent. I've had marathon runners oh, wow. as clients, <laughs> and they're running up until they give birth. Yeah, and like your uterus is not going to explode, and your baby's not going to fall out of you while you're running. Right. It's still going to support, you know, especially if you're a strong person, Mm -hmm. those muscles are going to support that baby in your belly. Right. Yeah, Yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. You might slow down towards the end. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, so thinking about you, you talked about your prenatal vitamins and how that really impacted your pregnancy. So thinking about nutrition, especially as a doula, what kind of foods do you think someone should avoid and what should someone look for when they are pregnant? Yeah. It's been really fascinating to see my kind of instinctual cravings mm -hmm. and how adverse I am to certain things okay, and how much I crave others. Mm -hmm. And so I think you have to lean into your cravings. If you're okay. craving something, it's because your body's asking for it. Mm. If you're adverse to something, it's because your body does not want that thing. Yeah. You know? So like first trimester, I could not smell anything fried. <laughs> Any fried foods is like, no. Oh. Um, and now my biggest craving is like a salad with anything apple cider vinegar kind of dressing. Mm. Like I'm just like, give me Very the healthy. vinegar. I don't know. Yeah, this baby <laughs> is turning me into a health nut. But, you know, I'm like, I still don't want fried foods, mm -hmm. which is kind of cool. Sometimes I'll crave a hamburger, sure. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe the iron, maybe I need. Because, yeah. you know, our our blood supply increases by almost 50% when mm -hmm. we're pregnant, which is crazy. Right. And, you know, a lot of that is fluid in the blood. It's not necessarily the red blood cells. Mm -hmm. So you have to boost your red blood cells so right. that you don't become anemic, right? So um, foods to, yeah, I would just say lean into your cravings and lean away from the things that don't call to you at that moment. Yeah. You know, there's yeah. this intuitiveness that, you know, you kind of, every every pregnant person I I think has something that they crave. I went to a yoga class the other day and the first question when we introduced ourselves was, what are you craving? And mm -hmm. everyone had a different craving. Like someone was craving lychees. Another person was craving pesto. I was like <laughs> apple cider vinegar, you know. Yeah. So everyone's body is needing something else. Yeah. You know, something different. Was Have you ever had a really funky craving while pregnant? Like, um, like the peanut butter and like tomatoes or something like that. I've seen a lot of like Reddit posts about that. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty cliche. In the first trimester, I did want pickles. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, again, I just want like vinegary types of things. Yeah. It's fascinating. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I see a lot of questions around, um, like, like, should I avoid shrimp while pregnant? Mm -hmm. Yeah, as a doula, what's your perspective on foods that you should definitely say no to versus mm -hmm. you can allow sometimes? There's something about cheese as well, like unpasteurized mm -hmm. right. cheeses and milks and stuff like that. It depends on what side of the fence you are on that. Some people still eat it. Yeah. Some people, you know, the guidance is like, don't. Mm, <laughs> Again, yeah. for the bacteria reasons. Or mm. like, should I avoid coffee completely while pregnant? Mm. On the caffeine front, I think the recommendation is about 200 milligrams mm -hmm. a day, which one cup of coffee, regular coffee, is about 100 milligrams a day, yeah. I think. Um, I'm, I'm constantly saying that this pregnancy is sponsored by chai tea, <laughs> like iced chai lattes with okay. oat milk is my, my jam right now. I used to be an iced coffee girl, like every uh -huh. day, twice a day. And now the chai, one chai a day is good for me. Okay. Awesome. Which has been cool. And yeah, if you are into leaning into the decaf situation, it's a lot less caffeine, so, you know, there's definitely that weaning off period that mm -hmm. most people go through in the first trimester. I was so adverse to coffee when mm. I first got pregnant, which was crazy because I've been drinking it since I was like 
a preteen. Yeah. <laughs> so for many years of my life, I've been drinking coffee. And then I got pregnant. And I was like, I can't even stand the smell of coffee. <laughs> so it was this natural weaning off. Yeah. And then once I started feeling better, I was like, all right, what can I drink? And I would get like a decaf cappuccino. Mm-hmm. That was really good. Um and then as the summer came on, I was like, I need iced, but I can't have an iced coffee because cold brew has the most caffeine. Right. Uh, so I switched to the chai and I'm loving it. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, I follow a pregnancy nutritionist who says that every everyone who's pregnant should try and eat an egg every day. Mm. Do you prescribe to that at all or Definitely agree? craving it. Okay. <laughs> every good. morning lately our breakfast has been eggs with like – Onions and bell peppers. Right. Um, I put corn in it this morning and cool. then some toast. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I forget which vitamin it is. I think either choline or folate, but I yeah. posted about it on TikTok before and people always comment like, eggs make me so nauseous. I could never. Um, yeah. So it's interesting. It's interesting. Yeah. What people are adverse to and what they crave. Yeah. Right. And that's yeah. why I'm like, just lean into your cravings. Your yeah. body is so smart. It knows what it needs. Mm-hmm. And then take know? prenatals. And take the prenatals to fill yeah. in the blanks. You right. Know? I have a friend right now that's actually pregnant and she's blowing my mind because she's decided not to take any prenatals mm-hmm. and she's just leaning into her food cravings like mm-hmm. strongly and doing some research on, okay, how do I eat a balanced diet to get all the vitamins that I right. need for my baby? And she's going against a lot of the general advice, but she's healthy. Her baby's healthy. She feels good. And mm-hmm. so I think it, it's it's more about what feels good for you. Right. You know, everyone's so yeah. different. And different people are deficient in different vitamins. Like if we all did a blood test and we saw our blood results, we would all look different, mm-hmm. you know? So I don't think there's like a one – prescription for everybody regarding the food. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, Thinking about preparing for birth as a doula, what are your thoughts on red raspberry leaf tea consumption as a way to soften your cervix and have an easier birth? Yeah. So the red raspberry leaf tea is really a uterine toner. Mm -hmm. So the thought is, is that when you actually do have contractions, it's going to make the contractions more efficient. Mm -hmm. Mainly, Like your uterus is a muscle. It's the strongest muscle in a woman's body. Mm -hmm. What? And (laughs) rightfully so. It's pushing a several pound child out of you, right? And through the cervix. It has to bust through the cervix. So the cervix is part of the uterus, but, Mm -hmm. you know, it has to thin it out, dilate it, open it all the way. And the contractions are what do that. So I always recommend to my clients start drinking it at like 36, 37 weeks. Mm -hmm. Okay. Sometimes people want to drink it a little earlier than that. It's not going to put you into labor. Mm-hmm. It's also not going to thin your cervix. It's mm-hmm. just going to strengthen your uterus. So right. when it's game time, it actually does the work efficiently. Okay, awesome. If yeah. you have red raspberry leaf tea too early on in your pregnancy, do you think that can potentially be dangerous? I don't think so. Okay. Yeah. I don't think it's that much of a magic pill. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah. So as a doula, what are your thoughts on consuming six dates a day starting at around 32 weeks? I have seen that do some magic. Okay. Yeah. But I would say also, I always tell all my clients, anything that we're doing to try to get the baby out, let's wait till 36, 37 weeks. Okay. Because the magic zone to welcome the baby is 37 weeks to 42. Okay. Sometimes people go past 42 if you have a care provider that's cool with that. 37 weeks, 
the baby's strong enough, their lungs are developed enough. If they're born at 37, their chance of going to the NICU is like relatively none. Mm. <laughs> it's like they're good after yeah. 37. Before 37, sometimes they're not quite ready. They're not fully cooked yet. If they come on their own before 37, usually they're okay. Because it's like the turkey in the oven, like the timer went off, like ding. Yeah. Baby comes on their own. Most <laughs> likely they're okay. I've had some like 35, 36 week babies come on their own and they're strong okay. and they're big and they're good. Yeah. You know, due dates are estimated. Mm -hmm. EDD, estimated <laughs> due date. It's not exact, right? Uh -huh. Less than 5% of people go on their due date. Mm. It's, yeah. it's really this big estimation of... 37 weeks to 42 weeks, that's a five-week window mm -hmm. to, to welcome your baby, right? So right. I always tell everybody, start the dates, start the tea, start uh, another. One of my favorites is evening primrose oil. Okay. It's a supplement that you can get over the counter, mm -hmm. and you take it orally, or you can insert a gel cap vaginally at night. Mm -hmm. Wear a pad if you do, because it will kind of melt and leak out potentially yeah. a little bit. But it is that one can soften the cervix. Mm. Yeah, it's okay. it's like acts like a prostaglandin. Mm. Also, if you have access to semen, the semen is a cervical softener as well. Oh wow! Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I would say like get it in if you can now yeah. because after you give birth, you're not going to want to for a couple of <laughs> weeks or potentially months, right? So yeah. Um, but use the semen. You're already pregnant. You can't get pregnant, right? Like. <laughs> Use it, go with it, and it can help to soften the cervix. Okay, interesting. I actually didn't yeah. know that. that yeah. That's a really fun fact. Yeah. Yeah, what are your thoughts on preparing for the group B strep test and optimizing for that, and why do pregnant parents even get a group B strep test? If a baby passes through there and you're colonized with the group B strep, then they can get a respiratory infection. Mm. It's like a 1% to 2% chance that they will get a respiratory infection that can be really uh, not fun for them. They all are going to have to go to the NICU. They're going to have to get a ton of antibiotics. Like hopefully they pull through on that, right? right? We want to mitigate the risk of this potential respiratory infection occurring in the baby. So mm -hmm. they just slap everybody who's positive with the antibiotics. Right. So my remedy for that is always telling my clients to get on a probiotic mm. during their pregnancy. Just take a probiotic. Or if you're not into it, taking another pill, then you can eat a ton of yogurt or mm -hmm. kimchi or sauerkraut, you yeah. know, um, fermented foods. Mm -hmm. And uh, that can help get your GI tract in balance and fight against that GBS okay, from cool. being there. Yeah, most pregnant parents are surprised, I think, by the fact that something like one in four pregnant parents will test positive for yeah. um, for during the group B strep test. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it ends up becoming a larger issue than most people normally perceive. Yep, that's right. And you don't know. You don't know if you have it until you do that little swab. Yeah. Right? Right. So, yeah, I just say, like, be proactive, take a probiotic, mm -hmm. eat your yogurt. You know, try to get your GI tract healthy. Yeah. Yeah. A frequent question I've seen on TikTok is, does it actually go in the anus and is it comfortable? Uh, it's so quick. It takes like two seconds. And I don't think they go like much more than the surface of it. Yeah. They're not like digging in there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, they're yeah. just kind of, it's like a Q-tip swab. Okay. And they're just swabbing it around. 
Kind of like when you do a strep test in your mouth and Mm. they just stick that Q-tip in there and swab it around really quick. They're just trying to collect whatever is there. Okay. Not like a COVID test. Right. Not like a COVID. Oh, those (laughs) things were the worst. (laughs) It doesn't go like way up in there deep and it literally lasts less than five seconds. Okay. Awesome. Mm Um, cool. Um, something else that I think often surprises pregnant parents is how out of breath they are. Um, so why does that happen? And do you have any coping mechanisms with being out of breath while pregnant? Literally, you're growing a giant child inside of you, like several pounds and your organs have to move Mm -hmm. to accommodate the baby. Yes, your belly grows, but it's pushing your intestines to the side, your stomach up, your diaphragm up, your lungs up, right? right. And until the baby drops and comes down mm-hmm. or comes out of your body all the way, you're not going to get that full lung capacity back until they've kind of moved out of the way, right? So yes, unfortunately, it's one of those crazy side effects of being pregnant and especially in your third trimester. Mm-hmm. I would say that's when it's starts to kick in is when the baby's growth is like exponentially, you know, every week getting bigger and bigger. Yeah. And earlier you were mentioning, I think another reason why so many pregnant parents get out of breath easily is because they're pumping so much more blood throughout their body. Yes. And so, um, yeah, I think it's like you said 50%. I read like around 40 as well. Um, But yeah, up to 50% more blood is being pumped through your body while pregnant. So I feel like then it makes sense why people are more out of breath and may experience things like heart palpitations as well because their body's just working so much harder. Yes, exactly. The heart palpitations are crazy. You know, (laughs) you can have a regular heartbeat or you can Mm -hmm. skip a beat or like it stops for a second and you're like, what just happened? Like, am I dying? (laughs) But it's, it's because your heart is having to work so much harder to keep up with that blood volume. Mm -hmm. And I imagine the lungs as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So is that the the is the increased blood flow the only reason why parents have heart palpitations during pregnancy or are there other reasons that you've read about? From the research that I've done, that is the main reason is just because your heart is having to work so much harder mm-hmm. to keep up. There's this other brilliant article that has been going around recently about how the metabolic rate of a pregnant person is equal to that of like a triathlon runner. Wow. Athlete, right? So like you are working so much harder just sitting there, like Mm -hmm. literally just sitting. (laughs) You're working just as hard as an athlete who's training for marathons, triathlons. So that probably also has something to do with it. Just your metabolism is so different. You're having to process all the things going through your body in a different way, mm-hmm. right? You're literally growing a human, which is crazy. And you're growing a placenta, which is a whole new organ yeah. that your body has to deal with, right? Yeah. And that is the place, the placenta is the place where you're exchanging your blood between you and the baby. And it's acting as this feeder to the baby, giving the baby nutrients and giving the baby blood. And it's also acting as this filter to the baby taking out you know, all the waste, basically, that the baby doesn't need. And so your body has to deal with that as well. It has to deal with feeding and filtering what the baby needs and doesn't need. And that's a whole new job. Right. Right? Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because whenever I talk about what I do at Angel Health and everything, um, usually I, I, if it's a young man that I'm talking to, I ask <laughs> them if they even know what a placenta is. Right. <laughs> <clears throat> um, yeah, Usually not. the answer is no. Um, and then when the placenta comes out, it's like this huge patty. It's <laughs> it's huge and it weighs several pounds. Yeah. You know, so that's fascinating in and of itself. The fact that it starts out, I mean, even the baby itself, it starts out just this little ball of cells and then it grows into this organ, these organs and tissues and mm-hmm. blood and baby. <laughs> yeah. Full on, you know? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Earlier I saw a TikTok of a dad thanking the placenta. <laughs> he was literally on his knees thanking the placenta Aww. for the work. Um, and yeah. yeah, it was it was interesting because I feel like, yeah, the placenta is usually just thrown away. Like I always say mm-hmm. at Angel Health, our biggest competitor is the biohazard waste bin because <sighs> totally. the placenta is so rich with stem cells yes. and has so much potential and has done so much already by the time it's birthed. Um, and nobody talks about it. Right. And the fact that you do have the option to bank the placenta and the fact that that gives you so much more coverage in terms of the technology that it can and work in, right? Like what is what does it also cover? Like diabetes, wound healing. Yeah. And eye injuries. Um, wow. and yeah, a lot of people will combine placenta stem cells with umbilical cord blood stem cells as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and just kind of like in layman's terms, create a more potent treatment in a way. Um, So yeah, it's been used for like leukemia in that way. And yeah, there's a lot of applications. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. When, like if you were going to have a baby and you were going to bank all this stuff, Mm -hmm. would you obviously do the full panel of blood, tissue, and placenta? Yes. So yeah, I think my dream birth plan would be to bank all three do delayed cord clamping for about 45 seconds and then bank the rest. Mm-hmm. And you can still collect enough cord blood if you do it for up to two minutes. Um, and then I would collect the cord tissue and then not do encapsulation, but bank the placenta for its stem cells. Yeah. Cool. cool. <laughs> yeah. With this, with this baby, I'm trying to figure out because I do um, encapsulate placentas for people. Okay. So that's a little side hustle that I, you know, if people want it, I'm happy to do it. I do it in my home. Mm -hmm. Um, And I usually make like a little cord keepsake and Mm. I do a placenta tincture. Okay. So I take a raw piece of the placenta, put it in a dropper bottle with vodka. Mm. And then the capsules, you know, I make out of the, obviously the whole placenta tissue. But I don't know, like, I'm curious right now about what it has greater benefit. Right, taking yeah. your placenta right after birth and getting that into your body, or like you, like your company offers, banking it and using it for. I mean, diabetes? Are you serious? <laughs> Cancer? Yeah, you know, uh, this technology is above and beyond what we've <laughs> ever been able to do for yeah. ourselves, and I think that that's really cool. Yeah, definitely. So I'm torn. I'm like, I know I want to do the blood and the tissue, but what do I do with my placenta? <laughs> yeah, well, we've had some people process and take like a small sliver. Like typically nice. our lab likes to process with the whole placenta. Yep. But yeah, we have had questions around like, can I do half or whatever? Yeah. Um, and our lab has processed like partial placentas, but yep. they try to get at least like most of it. So if you're just 
taking a small sliver for I the teacher. Like, yeah, yeah, I feel like that could work potentially. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that idea. Yeah, so there are options. Yeah, because with the tincture, I just literally cut off like an inch okay. by like a quarter of an inch yeah. piece of it. Like it's tiny, mm-hmm. you know, and then you just drop it in there. <laughs> Maybe that's what I'll do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, uh, thinking about preparing for birth, um, when should your baby's head start moving downward and how does that sort of impact how you feel? And especially since you're pregnant and have been pregnant before as well, how are you, how do you stay aware of where your baby is and how does that impact what you do every day? Yeah, I love that question. So again, like 36, 37 weeks, maybe some people start to feel their baby drop just because you're getting closer to that safe, safe zone to welcome mm-hmm. the baby. But not everybody feels that drop around then. Sometimes they don't feel it, you know. And, Ever. Yeah, <clears throat> until they're in labor. You know, sometimes the baby just stays riding high. Yeah, or breach. Or breach, that sucks, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It sucks only because in America, we treat breach birth with a cesarean section. Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of care providers that are willing to deliver a baby vaginally breach, Mm. unfortunately. And it's because the medical system just doesn't teach this Mm. anymore. Yeah. Are you a proponent of spinning babies? 100%. Yes. And you can do that all throughout your pregnancy. And also, once you know that you have a breech baby, please, please, please do it. You know, like just incorporate it into your daily routine. Mm -hmm. Spinning Baby's website is amazing and they (laughs) give you so much information. So Mm -hmm. it's right there at your fingertips. And then also, if you do have a breech baby, up the body work. Mm-hmm. Go see the, that chiropractor. Go see the acupuncturist. They can help. Mm-hmm. They can help create space in the body and clear those blockages that might be holding baby back from spinning all the way head down, mm-hmm. right? So body work, spinning babies, yes, for breech babies. Um, but, I mean, if you leave it alone and you're not in America and you're in the woods or <laughs> wherever you are in the world that, you know, kind of honors vaginal breech birth, you can birth a baby vaginally breech. You just don't touch it on the way out. You don't pull on it. You don't yank it. Like, you just let it come out. Mm-hmm. And that's how you deliver a breech vaginal baby. Mm. It's it's quite simple. Yeah. But we complicate the hell out of it. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and I guess the risks are what, like um, – a cord prolapse, like maybe Mm -hmm. the cord can come out before the baby comes out. And that's always not preferable, of course, because uh, it can get clamped and you could have D cells and the baby's heart rate and all that. But normally, if you don't touch birth, it goes really well. Mm. It's when we start touching it, that it gets complicated. Right. Mm -hmm. Typically. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I think it's interesting that there are so many more interventions in the Mm -hmm. U.S. And I feel like whenever I talk about um, OBGYNs on social media, for instance, Mm -hmm. people will always be like, oh, I can tell you're from the States because you talk about an OBGYN, whereas Mm -hmm. everywhere else midwifery is so much more normalized, even though it's also correlated in the U.S. with less interventions. Um, Yes. So, yeah, why why did you decide to have a birth with midwives rather than an OB per se, even though it was still in a birth center? Yeah. 
I actually have a very similar um, association with hospitals because growing up, my brother had cerebral palsy. Right. And so he was always like having seizures or like various complications. Mm. He like couldn't really walk or talk. So mm. um, yeah, so I also like really, really don't like being in hospitals. And uh, yeah, yeah. I, I so I, I was actually thinking about that when I was reading about how like the best way to prepare for birth is to just be really calm and like watch Gilmore Girls or like bounce on a ball or whatever that will help you reduce stress levels. Yeah. But I feel like for me, being in a hospital is already stressful. So 100%. I, yeah, I was pleased to like read studies around like midwifery kind of being the optimal option for some folks. Um, for most especially, folks. Yeah, yeah. Especially if you're like in a hospital that offers midwifery so that you don't necessarily yeah. have to be in like the like like the stereotypical hospital setting, yep. which would normally give me anxiety. Yep. 100%. Yeah. And they're in and out. There's people in and out of your room kind of yeah. disturbing you all the time. I saw this funny video one time of like <laughs> this doctor coming in and the, this couple is like on the bed and they're having sex, right? And mm -hmm. and he's like got his clipboard and he's like <laughs> checking up on them. Like, how's it going? Like, uh. is this working out for you? And like, what's possibly going wrong? And you know, it, it's going to stop any like potential orgasm you're going to have, right? Mm. If somebody walks into your room <laughs> and all of a sudden interrupts your session, right? Yeah. It's the same thing with birth. It's the same hormones. Oxytocin mm -hmm. is what gets a baby out. Mm -hmm. So if you're constantly having these bright lights and if you're constantly having someone interrupt your space when you're trying to get into that flow and, and get those hormones released, yeah, then it's going to be really hard to get there. Yeah. Right? And it's why a lot of people end up in hospitals getting an epidural because it doesn't feel safe. It doesn't right. feel comfortable. Someone's always interrupting you, asking you, like, on a scale of one to 10, what's your pain? It's like, mm. I'm in pain. Like, what kind of question is that? You know? But pain comes with birth. Like, yeah. it's nearly impossible to get a baby out of your body without pain. You're going to feel something. Right. This is a several pound child coming out of you. Right. You're going to feel something. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now discussing birth itself and the process, what are your top three tips as a doula to prepare for birth? Yeah. Uh, okay. So get a doula. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, having that third party support of somebody who is not your sister, is not your mom, is mm -hmm. not emotionally tied to you in that sense. Um, they're not going to be freaking out when you're freaking out. They're going to be actually doing the opposite. They're going to be providing you options and suggestions for bringing calm. Mm -hmm. Like you said, you want to be calm, right? You, you don't want to be working yourself up. Yeah. So that's what we do as doulas. And we also are trained to, like, lately I've been saying that helping a client through labor is like um, playing Tetris. Like the baby and the pelvis are the pieces, mm -hmm. right? And I'm trying to figure out how to fit the baby and the pelvis together so right. that the baby comes through the pelvis. And the, the laboring person's position affects the position of the baby and how it's coming through the mm. pelvis. So there's all these things that we know that you probably don't know if you're not a birth professional to help make your labor a little more efficient. Um, also, there's some techniques that we can do to help actually reduce the pain of the contraction. Um, the number one thing that I use on people is the hip squeeze, double hip squeeze. 
And I had someone tell me recently, like, wow, when you do that, it reduces the pain by 20%. I'm like, mm. wow, that's pretty significant. That's amazing, yeah. You know? um, so if someone doesn't have an epidural, usually they want some sort of touch. Not everybody wants touch. Um, so if we can't use touch, then it's about the breath work and mm-hmm. helping people stay in their bodies and breathe. I always say, like, breathe down to your baby. Mm-hmm. You know, inhale deeply to your baby and then exhale. Mm. And just breathing with people. That's really powerful sometimes. Um, Also helping to calm the partner down. The partner (laughs) is usually a ball of nerves. And Uh. so whether it's giving them sleep or giving them a chance to eat or go to the bathroom or just eye contact Mm -hmm. with them is really powerful and like a head nod. Like, yeah, this is normal. This is good. She's throwing up, but it's all good. Mm -hmm. You know, like there's blood coming out of her, but it's all good. (laughs) This is normal. We like this, you know? Uh So I think get a doula is number one. Um, On that same kind of front, but I would say like pick a care provider that's in line with your philosophy. Mm -hmm. Because if you're out of alignment in that sense, you're going to be fighting your whole way through the birth. Right. So that's a really powerful thing that you can do for yourself is and doulas can help with this, right? Like I love working with people early on in their pregnancy because I'm like, oh, you're pregnant? Okay, let's find you the person that's right for you. And then that's going to change your experience entirely, right? Um, So set up your team, you know, whether that's your midwife, your OB, your doula, get that. I think that's a really powerful piece of the puzzle. Um, Movement, spinning babies, body work, that all, you know, aligns for setting you up for success for playing that game of Tetris when you're in labor. Like, yeah, the more balance your body has, the easier it is going to be to get that baby out. Mm-hmm. And then the third piece is mental. It's like running a marathon. You know, it's a mental game. In the beginning, you're like, yeah, I got this. I got this. I got this. And same thing with early labor. You're like, I got this. Cool. It's not that bad. And then you start to turn this corner. It's like the middle of the marathon. And it's like, <laughs> damn, this is getting harder. You know? Yeah. Like, oh, my God. My, my body's starting to hurt. And that's the same thing with turning that corner into active labor. But the beautiful thing about birth is that your hormones really do protect you. Mm-hmm. You know, you um, – I don't know if you've ever seen the Disney movie Soul. Mm-mm. Oh, my God. It's beautiful. It'll make you cry. Um, but there's this this – time when they're talking about getting into the zone like the the guy in the movie is a piano player and he's a musician and so he's like when he's playing the piano he's in the zone and he's Mm -hmm. not really so aware of the world around him he's just really in his body and he's really in his practice of playing the piano yeah and so uh, our bodies naturally let us get into that zone when we get into active labor Mm -hmm. and some people fight it and some people are afraid of it Right. And I think that's when they're like, okay, give me the epidural. <laughs> you know, but if you can wrap your head around getting into that zone, and it's also like when you're running, when you're in the mm-hmm. marathon, like at a certain point, you're like, actually, my body doesn't hurt anymore. And I'm just doing this thing and I'm going and I'm going and I'm going yeah. and I'm going. Right. You get into the zone. And so your body naturally does that for you. So you just got to let it happen. And then, you know, you get to the finish line and you have to push, <laughs> you know, close to the finish line. You got to push. You got to push all the way to the last, you know, like sprinting. You're going fast, fast, fast. And the push in birth is not necessarily like a sprint. You, It's intervals. 
Mm-hmm. You push with the contraction and then, you know, in the middle of the pushes, I always tell people like melt your body into the bed. Mm-hmm. Just relax, breathe, melt, get soft, let the baby come down, let the baby be there. And then you, you know, push again and it's like two steps forward, one step back until that baby comes under the pubic bone and then starts to crown. Yeah. And then it's just a few more pushes after that and then the head's out and then one more push and the body's out, you know? <laughs> so um, it's, it's, I would say train your mental for a marathon mm-hmm. and, and do your education, like do your studies about what this looks like in your birthing space. Mm-hmm. What are your options for pain? What are your options for setting up your environment to be com- as comfortable and stress-free as possible? And for some people, that is getting an epidural, Mm -hmm. you know? So they want to go to the top hospital that has the best epidural. Do it by all means, right? Mm -hmm. If that's how you're going to prepare your mental, go for it. But if your idea of it is unmedicated, then don't go to a hospital. Yeah. You know, it's like the worst place to go for an unmedicated birth. Find a midwife, do it at the burning center, or find a midwife in a hospital who can protect that space for you. Mm -hmm. If you really want to be in the hospital. Right. You know, that's a nice balance for some people that are not ready for a birthing center and not ready for a home birth. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So talking about supporting a partner through birth, what are your top three tips for a parent who's not giving birth but out of birth? (laughs) Oh, my God. Just love on your partner. Love (laughs) on them as much as you can because, again, that oxytocin is what gets things going, Mm. right? So if they feel safe. And you can do that job of making them feel safe. That mm. should be your number one job. Okay. Try not to freak out. Try not to stress. Just be there for them. You're not the one giving birth. You're not the one feeling the pain, right? Yeah. So be the best support that you can be. Feed them. Put a straw to their lips when they need water. Mm-hmm. And then like prenatally, like be really extra nice to them. Like, yeah. Ugh, the worst thing <laughs> in a pregnancy is to have your partner not present and not supporting you Mm -hmm. through what you're going through. Yeah. You know, and partners are going through their own special journey. Like Mm they have to, like my partner right now, he's not a parent yet. I have, you know, my daughter with one guy and then now I have 10 years later, Mm -hmm. a new partner and he's not a dad yet. So I can see this process that he's going through of Mm. first the initial shock, like, oh my God, we're pregnant. We're going to have a baby. What? Like, that's crazy, you know? And it took him weeks to tell his family and his friends, like, into the second trimester to to tell them and to talk about it. And now he's so excited and he's so attentive. But at first, like, he wanted to go, like, drink at the bar with his buddies. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like, and I'm like, I'm pregnant. Like, I need you, you know? Yeah. But, I get it because there's a part of you that is like just in shock and you're just dealing. But once you can wrap your head around the fact that like your partner's going through something pretty serious right now, mm-hmm. like just be there for them, feed them, love right. on them, make them feel safe, I think, and and support their decisions. Yeah. You know? 
to what extent can you have sex leading up to birth, like the day of birth? Yeah, you can keep going for <laughs> as much as you want to. I used to get so mad at people in my first pregnancy when they'd be like, have sex, have sex. Like, it can help you get the baby out. And I'm like, I don't want to have sex right now. Like, stop <laughs> telling me that, you know? Uh-huh. doesn't feel comfortable. And some people don't feel comfortable to have sex, mm. especially as they get bigger. Mm-hmm. The second trimester is like the sweet spot. Mm-hmm. First trimester, you just... Most people are feeling sick, so they're not really feeling up to that. Um, But once you're starting to feel better, like if you can do it, you know, typically if you're with someone that you like, (laughs) sex always makes you feel a little better. Mm -hmm. You know, it's also like a form of exercise. Mm -hmm. So that's beautiful. (laughs) Yeah. It's like two in one. Um, And it also is like helping you bond with your partner during this time when, you're so highly focused on your pregnancy typically and the partners I, I feel like sometimes as a pregnant person the partner often becomes secondary mm-hmm. like you're like focused on yourself and you're focused on the baby and then your partner's just kind of there and so really carving out that time to have an intimate moment I think is a beautiful thing now sometimes people get put on bed rest or mm-hmm. There are some medical certain complications or situations that your doctor will tell you, like, don't have sex. But you can do other things. Yeah. (laughs) You don't have to, like, have penis in vagina sex. (laughs) You can do all kinds of things, you know, to to bond and to connect with your partner. Right. Especially, like, queer communities. Like, not always is there a penis in vagina situation, you know. It's like... Whatever you do, but it's fine to have orgasms. It's Mm -hmm. fine to let yourself go there during pregnancy. It's not going to put you into labor. Mm -hmm. Like the baby knows better. Yeah. Even if you are in labor, can you have sex? Yes. And how late into labor? Uh, If your water's broken, don't do it. Okay. Yep. But before your water's broken, go for it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Um, How often do you think birth plans go to according to plan? I love that question. I think not that often because people underestimate what it is to give birth. Mm -hmm. They don't really, and they're not aligning themselves with the care provider who's going to align with their vision, Mm. right? In my first pregnancy with Nola, I had one vision. It was so crazy. I was like, I'm going to give birth to this baby in the tub. Like, that's all that I know. Like, I did not visualize anything else. Mm -hmm. Never in my mind did I waver from that visualization. And, you know, thank God I didn't have a hospital to go to that I wasn't going to because maybe if now all of a sudden these different visuals were presented to me, maybe it would have swayed what I chose in that moment, right? right? Especially most hospitals don't have tubs that you can labor in. And that's a bummer because they're really helpful. Mm-hmm. Water hydrotherapy during labor is incredible, whether it's the tub or in the shower. Like when I'm laboring with people at the hospital, sometimes I'm like, okay, let's put the birth ball in the shower, get you naked, and just let the hot water come down your back. And people love it mm. when they let me help them do it. Yeah. Oftentimes they're like, oh, I don't know about that. Or the hospital's like, they're like a little disgruntled about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, I think people underestimate what it feels like to give birth, what contractions feel like, and they don't do enough preparation of their mind to be able to let themselves get into that zone and release the fear, 
Mm. So many people are afraid of pain. Yeah. But this is the only time in our lives that pain is good. Mm. It's good pain. Like how, you know, there's that saying like good trouble. This is good pain. Good trouble, good pain. We're we're working towards an end goal, which is getting the baby out. And then once the baby's out, it's this beautiful sensation of you are no longer in pain. Like <laughs> yeah. you're not experiencing contractions anymore. Yeah, like the post-birth euphoria, especially oh my if God. you have an unmedicated birth. Wow, it's like taking drugs. It's like being on mushrooms. Like <laughs> yeah. it's like, you know, it's like this high that you get naturally. And it's really because it's like you're having an orgasm Mm -hmm. when you are releasing your baby, the oxytocin levels are just so high Mm. that you get that same feeling. Yeah. But if you're on an epidural, you don't necessarily have it. You do a little bit to an extent, but um, the epidural is fascinating. When my clients are laboring without it, you know, they're kind of getting into that zone. They're making noise. Mm -hmm. They're vocalizing or they're – or some people go really internal. Some people get really quiet and they're just breathing. And, you know, they're – things get hazy. Things get cloudy around you. And then they get the epidural and they're like, hi. And, (laughs) you know, like they come back to the room. Yeah. There's this totally different demeanor about them because they're not feeling pain anymore. Right. Right. And so it really does change like your mental mind space. Oftentimes an epidural will slow the labor down as well. So if you get it like before five or six centimeters or before your body's really contracting every two to three minutes for 60 seconds or longer, um, then you are most likely going to need a little help to get the labor to continue, whether that's like them breaking the water for you. Sometimes that does the trick or oftentimes in a hospital, they want to give you Pitocin. Mm. At a birthing center, it's nipple stimulation. Mm -hmm. Your nipples release oxytocin magically. And so if you diligently like just play with your nipples, it's going to help a contraction come on. It's the craziest thing. Yeah. So, you know, the epidural, does it take away that post-birth euphoria? I think in a way, because you're so much more present for so much more of that other part of your labor in which you would be going deeply into the zone and working with your hormones deeply, right? Sometimes artificially they have to give you hormones to get you to to the end point. Right. Right. So yeah, I think it disrupts that kind of hormonal cycle. Mm, Okay. Um, So a lot of parents talk about during birth, they reach a point when they just don't feel like pushing and a lot of people are surprised that that happens. So Mm -hmm. in the case that that does happen, what do you recommend? Waiting. (laughs) (laughs) just more time and like be upright and let gravity help the baby come down Mm -hmm. um keep your contractions going keep trying different positions to then get the baby to really engage in the pelvis and come down um whether that's like being on your side for a little bit if you have an epidural Mm -hmm. if you don't have an epidural you Mm -hmm. do not want to be laying down that's like the last position you want to be in but being upright i think helping gravity bring the baby down is is the number one thing and just asking for more time until you really feel that urge to push right and without an epidural like you'll start making these grunting noises like (laughs) (laughs) like you and, and it's it's this uncontrollable urge to push. Mm. It's almost like a reflex. Like when you yeah. have to have a bowel movement, you know you have to go to the toilet, right? Mm-hmm. Same thing. So you're like, okay, here I am and this baby's coming. Because yeah. when the baby comes down, it does press on the rectum. 
Mm-hmm. And then you get, it feels like you're having a bowel movement. Yeah. Right. And then you push into that and it's almost like you can't not do it. I've definitely been in the car on the way to hospitals with people who are starting to get the urge to push. Mm-hmm. And I always say like, blow out the birthday candles, like, <laughs> like get the energy to go out the other way instead yeah. of down. Mm. Um, if we're not in the, if we don't want to have a car baby. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I have had to reroute a few people to like the closest hospital. Like, okay, oh. we're in Brooklyn. We're planning on going to like, you know, a hospital in the city. Nope. We're not going to make it. Let's go to this hospital in mm-hmm. Brooklyn. And then the baby's born like 10 minutes after. Wow. Right? Um, have you ever had a car baby? Uh, I have had one client have a car baby. Wow. Yeah. It just was coming and it was too fast. <sighs> her contractions were five minutes apart at home. Then all of a sudden her water broke and then it went so fast after mm. that. Like she was five minutes apart and then water broke and then she got in the car and once they could barely even pull out of their garage before she was like, I feel the baby's head. <laughs> so I wasn't even with them. I was on the way to meet oh, them. Oh, wow. So it was just in the back seat? In the back seat of her car. <laughs> yeah. Who uh, caught the baby? Her. Oh, wow. Because the husband was driving. <laughs> <laughs> That's wild. Yeah. Okay, but, cool. you know, when, when babies come fast like that, it typically means that everything's lined up and everything is good. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, yeah, thinking about setting up your birth plan, um, obviously at Angel Health, we help pregnant parents keep stem cells from their umbilical cord and placenta so they can use it for future disease treatments. Um, so if someone asks you why they shouldn't do that, what would you say? And if someone asked you why they should do that, what would you say? Yeah, I think the pros and cons of doing it, um, one, it's obviously there's a financial component to it. So Mm -hmm. not everybody can afford that out-of-pocket expense of banking their, you know, blood and tissues. So that's one one aspect. Um, If you want to delay your cord clamp more than two minutes because you want to have a lotus birth or Mm -hmm. you want to keep your baby attached to your placenta forever or something like that, then I would say don't do it. But if you can afford it, I don't know. I'm I'm really a fan of this technology, especially <laughs> after researching your company and like all the beautiful work that you've put into creating just the statistics and and the research behind this and where the future of this technology is heading. Mm-hmm. I think in the state of our world today with climate change, with everything that, you know, our children are going to have to deal with. I think, why not use this technology? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, they're probably going to have to deal with way more diseases than we ever have, I think. Mm. And so why don't we help them? Yeah. And then also the fact that, like, siblings and parents can have access to this stuff as well is fascinating. And that's <laughs> yeah. really cool. Like, yeah, definitely. Like, why not? If you have the means to do it, why not? Yeah. You know what I mean? What was the most shocking statistic that you read when researching cord blood banking with AngiHealth? I think the fact that what what is it that siblings are a what 75 percent and parents are a fifty percent yes. match? Yeah, I mean, come on, <laughs> like I want to bank my baby's stem cells so that if I get cancer later on down the road, maybe it can help me. Yeah, yeah, we've actually already had parents use it for siblings. Um, wow. Yeah, so it's it's been really interesting. I think siblings actually tends to be a really common use case. Yeah. More almost, I, I mean, I don't know the exact numbers around it, but I think it's even more common from the studies that I've read, yeah. like anecdotally, that um, 
like it's more common for siblings to use it than the baby themselves. Oh. And I've also read like it's kind of an ethical question, but some people like the whole my sister's keeper type concept where they'll basically have a baby just so they do have access to stem cells. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think the umbilical cord and placenta are usually like disregarded and kind of the last mm-hmm. part of birth that's thought about, but our goal at Angel Health is to really make it like a forefront part of the birth plan mm-hmm. as common as like, are you going to decide to have an epidural or not? Right. Yeah, I think it should be too. And I love the fact that you are making it more affordable <laughs> than most other companies on the market. I think most of my clients have been like, oh, I can't do that because it's not affordable. But I'm like, yeah. but wait, <laughs> Anja's got your back. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, lastly, I wanted to get your thoughts on some studies that have come out in a, in the past few weeks just on birth and pregnancy in general. So one is um, published by The Guardian. Basically, uh, 73% of surveyed women said that they receive no information on bonding in first weeks after birth and more than one in 10 women struggle to bond with their baby. And I'm sure for men, it's probably an even crazier statistic. Um, So yeah, what are your initial thoughts on that? And what would you say to those women that struggle with that bond postpartum? Yeah. I mean, it's crazy because we're so highly focused on the pregnancy when we get pregnant. The birth is a blip in time, honestly. Yeah. It takes a few hours to maybe a few days. And then you have this baby forever. So I think there's a a lack of education around what the postpartum time actually looks like Mm. and what it actually requires of you. Also, in America, I mean, our leave policies are just horrible. Horrible, yeah. I mean, they're expecting people to come back to to work like right away and then you have to pay for childcare Mm -hmm. to pay for someone else to take care of your child while you go back to work. You're basically going back to work to pay for childcare. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I think that our society is not set up to support new families, to support birthing people, to support that that really precious right. initial postpartum time. And, and I would label that the first year. Mm-hmm. You know, I think um, the mental health aspect of giving birth as well, like your hormones are shifting so wildly after you give birth. You know, you could be crying for reasons you don't even know why you're crying, and, but it's because your hormones are shifting. And yeah. like, duh, like your body's trying to reset and get back to this place of, you know, not being pregnant, basically. Mm-hmm. But you have these lactating hormones that are still going through you until you're done lactating, you know? Yeah. And, and some people are done sooner than others, but yeah, I think it comes down to a lack of education and and society not supporting new families. Um, and I think that really breaks that bond, right. you know, and the stress that it causes people to, like, get back to themselves. It's like you're not ever going back to yourself. You're mm-hmm. a brand new person after you give birth. Yeah. You're a wholly new person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I read um, the CDC published that study that 80% of maternal related deaths in the US are preventable and the leading yeah. cause is mental health. And I yeah. feel like, yeah, mental health is just so under-resourced in the US in general, but especially when it comes to postpartum. You know, somebody should be coming by your house like they do in, you know, um, a lot of European countries. Mm-hmm. They come by your house to check on you. They send you a nurse yeah. to check on you and the baby. And we don't get that. Yeah. So no wonder people are dying because of postpartum psychosis Mm -hmm. or postpartum depression even or anxiety even that's leading them to 
taking their lives, taking their babies' lives, right? Which is really serious, you know. Like, yeah, um, the, I'm glad that we're talking about it now. I'm glad that these numbers are coming out and they're so staggering. Mm-hmm. That's making us shine light on it, you know, and talk about it more and normalize the experience of the postpartum person. Right. You know? um, I hope that we can speed up the process and like help people get more support. Yeah. You know, at an affordable rate or maybe even free. That would be the dream. <laughs> yeah. No, definitely. Very well said. Yeah. Um, well, my last question for you is if you have any questions for me, especially about cord blood banking and especially because you're pregnant or anything like that. Yeah. Um, well, one question that I had was, so like my case, I had a baby with two different people, mm-hmm. right? I'm having a baby with two women. Could my daughter benefit still from the stem cells of this baby, even though both parents are not a match? Yeah. Well, so I think it may not exactly be 75%, but um, because they're still related to some degree, like the the percentage, I won't be able to predict it, but like there would be some semblance of a match. um, And yeah, there's a study, for instance, um, that shows like likelihood of... um, like basically a survival rate uh, after receiving a stem cell transplant from cord blood. And it's, um, I think that's the, one of the axes and the other axis is uh, like how related they are um, and like whether they're um, relatives. And so, yeah, it's like, there's very clear correlation between if you're related to the donor and surviving whatever disease you have. Yeah. It's actually a really common question about half siblings and Mm -hmm. um, even like cousins Mm -hmm. or like grandparents. Grandparents. Yeah. We've had inquiries about. So yeah, I would say you, you never know when you could potentially use it. Like my family didn't anticipate that my brother would have cerebral palsy and then we ended up needing it. Um, so yeah, I think it's just always something really important for pregnant parents to keep in mind. Yeah. I love your passion behind your company. It's (laughs) it's beautiful. Thank you. Thank (laughs) you. Cool. Do you have any other questions? No, I think that's good. Okay. Awesome. Well, yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time today to be here. Um, It was super insightful conversation and I I learned a lot, honestly. Cool. (laughs) Yes. I love sharing. I love talking about it. I can talk about it till the cows come home. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Awesome. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you.